0: Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're continuing. This is week two of I don't know how many. I'm just being honest. I'm just going to stop preaching it once I run out of stuff on how to teach you how to talk to God. So we're going to be talking with God tonight. Even just as a side note, when our music, by the way, when there's that moment where there's just no singing and there's just music, you know what you're supposed to do right there? You're supposed to talk with God. Just say, Lord, prepare my heart for the service. God, do what only you can do. Those moments are intentional. And uh, boom, I just taught you something there. Pass the plates, we'll go home. Not really. Psalm 103, on how to talk with God, there's two reminders I want to give you each and every week. Number one was this quote we started with last week by Richard Foster. It says this. It says, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. We constantly fail in prayer because we think it's some task, some where we need to grit our teeth and power through it. Instead, it's a process of falling in love where we can't help but talk with God. The second thing is by the end of the series, I genuinely want you to experience real prayer like never before. And so maybe we'll continue this series until enough of you come up and say, yes, I have experienced real prayer. Like never before. And so, we're gonna look at all different parts of the Bible. Uh, there's many different people in the Bible that talk with God, and we're gonna kinda of highlight a few of those. So, the title of tonight's message is really crucial here. Uh oh, th- is this not working? I don't think my remote is working tonight. You're gonna to have to really uh, be on board here. So, how to overcome the biggest obstacle to prayer. How to overcome the biggest obstacle to prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to pray with you now. God, I'm just reminded of this reality, God, of the priesthood of all believers, that because of Jesus, we have complete access to you. And so tonight, I just ask you that we'd walk out of this room as a body of Christ, empowered to talk with you, both about the major things of life, but also the minor little things. God, may we fall in love with you tonight in a deeper way. And I just ask you that we'd walk out of here with grace and grace and abundance. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. Amen. It is fixed. It's fixed. You're the best, Pharaoh. Okay, so what is your biggest obstacle to prayer? Think about it. In your mind... What is the biggest reason why you don't pray? Well, here's some of the biggest reasons people tell me. One is you're easily distracted. Maybe you even fall asleep. Anybody else do that? You're praying, and then all of a sudden, good morning, God. You know, it's just out of nowhere. Another one, this one's really real. It's hard to know what to say. Maybe you grew up in a a home where your mom or dad prayed in KJV, right? Right? Dearest thou, Lord, Father. You know, it's like, what? Like, how do you talk that way? And so you don't know how to talk to him. Other people need it more, you think? Why pray pray about my needs? There's real needs in the world. I'll be fine. Another one that I hear very often is there's not enough time in the Addy. That that was this. Not enough time in the day. And I can't blame anybody but myself because I was the one who put these slides together. So there's not, I didn't have enough time to spell check. Now, there's not enough time in the day. And so because of that, we think, oh, we we end our day and go, oh, well, I'll try to pray tomorrow. Well, the church fathers from the past would argue with you, it's not because you're busy. Martin Luther has this great quote. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I love that and feel very condemned by that. I have a lot to do, so I need to spend the first three hours in prayer. Martin Luther, if you don't know him, he's considered the father of the Reformation. So in 1517, he nailed what's called the 95 Theses to the door of All Saints Church. And this started the Protestant Revolution. And so this is Christianity today that's not Catholic. So it's many different denominations. We are one of them being Baptist. So one of the greatest contributions Martin Luther had was he gave to the church understanding of the scriptures that it's all about grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. So you don't need me to talk to God. You don't need a priest. You can talk to God yourself. You, do, you have the Bible yourself. You don't have to wait till a preacher explains it to you. You can get into the scriptures. It was really an incredible revolution. And so Martin Luther, if you were to ask him that same question, what is the biggest obstacle to prayer? His answer would be simple. Condemnation. The reason you and I do not pray is we believe the lies of the enemy. We condemn ourselves. We talk down to ourselves. We don't recognize the grace that we have in Christ. In one of his commentaries, he mentions how condemnation strips us of our ability of three things. Number one, I really hope this is all spelling right the rest of the way, okay? Number one, he says, it strips us, it stops us from loving our neighbor, If you are condemned, you will have a harder time loving those who are not like you. Also, if you feel condemnation, this is where you feel like you deserve death. You feel like you deserve punishment. You you don't think that God loves you. There's so many different ways to describe condemnation. If you believe that or if you fall for those lies, it will stop you from looking death in the face without despair. If you are somebody who is scared of death, It's because you believe in condemnation. The last thing he says is it stops us from confidently approaching God in prayer. One of the biggest reasons we don't just talk to God. Why? We think, oh, I've done too much this week, right? God doesn't want to talk to me. I've sinned a lot. And that is not the gospel. This is not how we operate. Condemnation is the biggest obstacle to prayer, and I want us to fight that tonight with the truth. Martin Luther, he's such a character. He found two of the best ways to fight condemnation and the devil. Ready? Quote number one. Almost every night when I wake up, the devil is there. Now, time out. We believe the devil is not omniscient. He's not everywhere. He's at one place at one time around the world. Um, I don't think any of us are special enough where the devil has visited us, maybe his demons. Uh, Martin Luther was special enough. He, was, he literally started the Reformation. So I can roll with this, that the devil visited him. Uh, and just stay with me, don't walk out. Uh, <laughs> Ashley walks out, of all people. I didn't even see you do that yet. And I started, and then you're literally, okay. Woo, good thing I just gave you a gift. All right, so, and wants to dispute with me so I have come to the conclusion. So here's how he fights with the devil. Ready? When the argument that the Christian is without the law and above the law doesn't help, I instantly chase him away by, with the blowing of the wind. I, my mom won't let me say this word out loud. She believes it's one of the four bad letter words. Do you guys read that from how far? Okay, it says fart. But chase him away. This is real. This is in Luther's works, page 78. So that is not tonight's takeaway. But if you have gas, I'm just saying, you can say, I'm doing the Lord's work. Next, here's the other way. We're going to get serious eventually, but that was too funny not to include in the message. It was a, he was a character. He says this. This is the way, and this is I want us to lean into. If he gave himself into death for our sins, then undoubtedly he is not a tormentor. Hear that. God is not tormenting you. He was torment—Jesus was tormented in your place. He is not condemning you. Look, he is not the one who will cast down the troubled, but one who will raise up the fallen and brings propitiation and consolation to the terrified. In other words, we have to remember the truths of the gospel, that we are his children— that he has showered us with grace and with love. And when we feel this tormenting as believers, this is not from the Lord. The Lord convicts. We talked about this last week. The Lord does call us out when we are walking in sin, but it's always an invitation back to his love. It's not torment. So what we must do is pray the truths of the gospel. How do we do that? We see this. David does a great job of it in Psalm 103. Now, when you read the Psalms, It usually tells you in the headers who it's by. And so not all of the Psalms are written by David, though a lot of them are. Even some are written by Moses and a few others. And other times, not only does it give you the author name, but it gives you the context. So for example, Psalm 51. If you know that Psalm, it says, it talks about David. It's a prayer of confession. And so David actually confesses his sin How or why? Because Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. We read that in 1 Samuel. right? So the Psalms gives us great context. So I suggest if you're reading through the Psalms and it gives you context, and if you don't know the story immediately, follow the pages. Figure out that story and read it, and it really brings the Psalms to life. Now here's what's great about Psalm 103. There is no context. We just know it's from David. Why should that be encouraging? Because what this means is this is a universal principle that can be applied in any situation. Sometimes we read the Psalms and think, okay, I don't have this struggle. I'm not going through this thing that David went through. David, he gives no context to this Psalm because it's something you and I should be praying about and praying through all the time. It's not a special case scenario. So let's look at verse one again together. It says, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy Name. Notice when he says, my soul. What he's doing here, this is actually a form of prayer, is when you're talking to yourself. He's preaching truth to his heart. He's saying, listen here, soul. He's talking in third person here. Soul, listen. Bless the Lord. Too many of us, we just are captive to what we're feeling, and we follow the feeling. He's saying, okay, I feel like not blessing the Lord. But instead of listening to those urges, I'm declaring right now, look at me, soul, bless the Lord. Now, what does bless the Lord mean? This is talking about uh, to bless the Lord is to express love and gratitude to God for all that he has done and all that he is. And so it's just being grateful. Bless the Lord. Thank him. Acknowledge him. And the scriptures constantly say when we bless the Lord, it delights God's heart. So bless the Lord all that is within me so not just my my heart but my mind and my body all together i cannot be thinking in my mind about things not of the lord and yet worshiping him with my body it needs to all be in one accord blessing the lord blessing his holy name he says my soul bless the lord he's repeating it showing its emphasis and do not forget all his benefits Almost every translation simply says, do not forget or forget not. It's pretty interesting about the human capacity. You and I, we remember the things we shouldn't remember, and we forget the things we should always remember. You notice that? Even just in the spiritual realm, my job as a pastor is to remind you every week, God loves you. But you know what, what you think about and remember most days of the week? You think about your sin. You think about negativity. You think about the ways that you don't deserve the love of God. So one reason, there is very, there's a high chance some of you come into our gatherings on a weekly basis and you go, I learned nothing new. And that's okay. What we're actually called to do is to remember. This word remember, it's another way to translate do not forget. It's really, it lacks the power in the English language, but I think it's really helpful imagery. What it really means is to take a member and re put it on. Remember. So it's as if you lost an arm and he's saying, okay, this arm is yours. You just detached from it. So your job, it's yours. So put it back on. Does that make sense? Remember. So this grace is yours. You forgot it. You got detached from it. So our job is to remember, to re put it back on. It was always ours. We were just detached from it. But then it says, all his benefits. The number one thing that you and I forget, but he's saying, do not forget, because if you forget, you fall into condemnation. Do not forget his benefits or his blessings, what comes with coming to God. This is convicting for me because typically I preach, don't come to God to get his blessings, come to God to get God. And I still agree with that. But this is also saying, look, we need to just acknowledge God and say, thank you, God, for your forgiveness.'" Thank you, God, for these things you do bless us with. We're called to acknowledge those things. And so here's the main idea for today. I want you to take this away right here. When condemnation is your nemesis, you should pray through all God's benefits. This is the key. Do you struggle with condemnation? Pray through all of God's benefits benefits. And you may ask, what are those benefits? And I'm just saying, thank you for asking. It's in the next few verses. There's a lot of benefits. In fact, we can do an extensive study, more than more than what we have here in Psalm 103. But I think David gives a great list. He has six different benefits that he gives us, that God gives to his children. And that's another caveat right here. There are blessings that God gives to all mankind. It's called common grace. But these next six benefits that we're talking about is called special grace. What does that mean? It is only to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. So God shows mercy. He lets the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. But these specific mercies, these specific graces, they are freely extended to everybody. But what we must do is receive it. And maybe your takeaway tonight is to receive it for the first time or maybe to remember it, to re-receive it again. So what are the benefits that he gives us? Let's fly through these. Benefit number one is forgiveness. It says in the scripture, so he said, let's forget not all your benefits. In his very next line, God forgives all your iniquity. Remember, he's preaching to his soul. So he knows these are truths and he's trying to remind himself of this reality. What does forgive mean? Forgive means he doesn't hold our sin against us, right? It's over. Do you know some people, I immediately thought of names. You don't do that as a pastor. I don't know it, but there are people where they just won't forgive what you've done to them. And maybe it's when you're a teenager. Maybe it's like you've grown out of it. You've asked for forgiveness, but they'll always remember you for that thing. Here's the reality. As humans, it's almost impossible for us to completely forgive and forget. But with the Lord, he has the power to. What is iniquity? Iniquity, another word can be depravity or perversity. Or wickedness, or wrongdoing. This is sins. This is all of the sin that you can imagine. This is the the wrong things that you did. This is the right things that you didn't do. This is all of the iniquity, and you know them because when condemnation comes knocking on your door, it is those sins you think about and think, God, you won't hear me because I've done X, Y, and Z. But here's the beautiful thing: God doesn't just forgive. The scriptures actually explain how he forgets. Look at Psalm 103. It's not on the screen, but in verse 12, Psalm 103, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know the Casting Crown song, right? East is from the No. Okay. East is from the west. We're just going to keep it there. No singing tonight. Amen. Praise God. Now, here's what's cred- incredible about this word image. If I'm standing here, okay, I have east and west, right? If I walk 500 miles west, am I closer to west or to east? I'm still in the same—it's still just as far away. No matter where you go, east and west is infinitely apart from each other. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because of what Christ has done on the cross for for us, it doesn't matter how you feel— doesn't matter, ah, I don't know, I still feel bad. No, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, hear me, you are forgiven. You are made clean. You are seen as righteous. And I don't think we pray about our forgiveness enough. I don't think we acknowledge. I think a lot of us, when we pray, we say, please forgive me. Here's the reality. He has forgiven you. What we need to pray is, God, help me walk in the forgiveness that you've already given me, right? Help me walk in this reality. Because here's the weird paradox The more you think you're not forgiven, the worse stuff you'll do, ironically. But when you know God has love and grace for you, and he's not going to punish you for your sin, you know what's crazy? You start to sin less. It's unbelievable. This is the beauty of the gospel. And so I want to ask you, do you struggle with shame? Are you haunted by your past? Do not stay captive to it. Pray through it. Say, God, today, listen here, soul, I declare, I am forgiven. So Martin Luther says this, when, Mar- when, when the, the devil wants to remind you of your past, what do you do? Remind him of his future. This is what we're called to do. I'm forgiven. I am made free. That's benefit number one. So in your prayer life, maybe implement it this week. Start with, you know what, God, I'm starting here. I'm forgiven. And I praise you for that. Benefit number two is Healing. This one is kind of hard to understand because we do know that some people haven't experienced healing on this earth. But the scripture says, he heals all your diseases. This is benefit number two. Now, God is able, this is what we believe at this church because of our Bible, God is able to heal every disease still today. But he is not obligated to. This is why we say, God, your will be done. Right? This is his direction. But here's the truth that we can all agree with. Healing does ultimately come through the resurrection of our bodies. So we will all die. Welcome to church. I love just reminding you of that. But... If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we believe just how Jesus resurrected. That was a foretaste of what you and I will experience. At the end of it all, we too will be resurrected and completely made whole and healed and probably like your 30-year-old version self, because that's the age I'm at right now. Oh, man, I hope it's 27. I was in much better shape back then, pre-COVID. Amen, you know what I'm saying? Healing, we will be made whole. Don't Don't be afraid to ask God for healing. Some groups, and I think we can be a part of that, we're a little bit fearful of asking for healing. Be honest with God. Maybe this isn't even physical healing. Maybe it's, it's mental. It's your past still, right? There's so many different ways you and I need healing, relational healing. Richard Foster, my favorite book on prayer is by Richard Foster, and it's called Prayer. <laughs> All right? He has this quote in it so good. He says, who we are, not who we want to be, is the only offering we have to give. We give God, therefore, not just our strengths, but also our weaknesses. Not just our giftedness, but also our brokenness. Do you do that? Do you go before God and say, God, here is my brokenness. God, here is my weakness. God, here is my sin? We don't pray because we're afraid of praying those prayers, but we don't, until we get rid of that problem, we don't pray anymore. We don't pray because we're not healed. Pray for healing push through. Benefit number three, according to the text here in Psalm 103, is redemption. Look at Psalm 103 verse 4. He redeems your life from the pit. Redeems, this word here means literally to buy back. It's the Old Testament imagery, especially of the exodus, Uh, where the people of God are in Egypt, and then what happens? The people of God are redeemed. They are brought from Egypt and eventually into the promised land. Now, this is a picture of what happens in reality in the new covenant as Christians today. Before we believed in Jesus, you and I were in Egypt. We were in slavery to sin. But when we believed in Christ, we walked through the Red Sea. We walked through the cross. And now we are entered into the promised land of hope, forgiveness, and freedom. Now, this word pit literally means it can be translated sheol or hell or eternal destruction or the grave. This idea of a pit is you can't climb out. You're done. Also, think of the story of Joseph in Genesis, right? He was thrown into the pit, left, but then God made a way for him to be lifted Out of the pit. Now, because of our sin, we deserve eternity in a pit that you and I could never get out of. But this is why we have the good news of the Bible: is Jesus went into the pit in our place. He went in so that you and I could be brought back out. But here's a huge source of condemnation because you and I, sins done in the past, or even sins we're involved with in the present, we think, "Man, I deserve the pit." I don't deserve grace. This is a big one. A lot of us, I'm included, we're afraid of dying. And I was encouraged by praying through this this week, my fear of death, I cannot be captive to it. I need to pray through it. I do get freaked out a lot about death. Um, I know where I'm going, so that's never the issue. I don't think, oh, no, what's going to happen? But I don't like want to leave my people behind, right? I always feel like there's more to do. And so I realized that this is a problem, and I used to just think it's funny, whatever. But even just reading the scriptures this week, I I just kind of came to a realization, I need to do this hard work of breaking down the benefit of life with God and knowing I don't have to fear death anymore. So what that means is not just learning that truth once, and now I'm not going to be afraid of death anymore. No, I'm still afraid of death right now. But my task now is in my prayer life is to push this down into my soul until it becomes a reality. Let me give you an example of what this means in, in real life. So let me, let, let's say my wife, she's on, her, on the couch reading her Kindle, and uh, there is a spider on her arm. This is my wife's worst nightmare. You can just ask her. So I tell her, hey babe, there's a spider on your arm. And if she just simply replies, yeah, I know it's fine, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, Jordan, did you? And she does not like when I call her by her name, by the way. That's what will get your attention more than the word spider. I'm going to say, Jordan, did you hear what I said? And imagine if she goes, yeah, you said I have a spider on my arm, right? And then just freaks out. This is what happens in the spiritual realm. We know, we we say, oh yes, I know that God loves me. I know, you know, I don't need to fear death. But we say it, but we don't like believe it. Does that make sense? And so a huge, beautiful gift of prayer is to break down those benefits to where we know, oh no, there's a spider on my arm. Okay, yes, this is a truth. I know the truth, but now I walk in the truth and I believe the truth to my core. And now I have a sense of grace and I have a sense of patience and I have a sense of perseverance because this truth is not just head knowledge, it's gone into the heart. It's preached into the depths of my bones. Does that make sense? This is what we're called to do, and this is what David did. Let's keep breaking down the benefits. So we've had a few benefits so far. We've had forgiveness, healing, redemption. The next one is huge. It's love. He, he says in the next part of verse 4, He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. I love, it's not just love. It's faithful love. It's ever-enduring love. First Timothy, I believe, it says, Although you and I are faithless, what does the Scripture say? He is still faithful. That's a word. Most of our problems, you know what they are? They're because we don't believe we're loved. Most issues you and I have today is from this pit of despair, thinking, I need to be loved. And so we look in all these other relationships, and all these other areas, and the greatest thing we need is love from the Father, because that's what we were created for. Verse 8 in Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, Slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. What I love about this imagery of crowning is you never crown a slave, you crown a son or a daughter. And so, know this, friends, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are his son, you are his daughter, and he showers you with his love. And it has nothing to do, hear me, with how great and impressive you are, has everything to do with how gracious and loving he is. We have to, this is something for me, I grew up my whole life hearing God loves you. But to this day, I am working on this to make this a reality where I walk in that truth. Here's one thing that's been helpful for me. We tend to be in what I would call, or Tim Keller calls it, an if-then relationship with God. If-then. Let me give you some examples. In our prayer life, we think, okay, if I stop sinning, then God will love me. Anybody else think that? right? Or if I do what is right, then God will heal me. Or if I pray today, then God will shower me with his blessings. Now, of course, there is an element here when we approach the throne. There is, we do tap into more of his grace that was always on offer. But in the if-then, we think, okay, I'm the one earning this salvation. But Tim Keller says, no, we need to move from if-then to because-therefore. David, throughout the Psalms, recognizes a because-therefore relationship with God. Let me give you an example. Because Christ died for me, therefore I am forgiven. Because God has grace for me, therefore I have peace with God. Because God loves me, therefore I am a child of God. It's not if I do certain things. It's because of what God has already done. Let me give you this quote. It's by Sam Storms. It's in this book called 12 Things God Did With Your Sin. It's a great book. He says, When our approach to Christian living is based on if-then paradigm, we will find ourselves immersed in the religious life in which our acceptance is based on obedience. Our motivation is fear and insecurity. I know that applies to some of us in the room. I know it applies to me. When we fail, we're worthless. When we succeed, we're valuable. But in the gospel-centered life, acceptance is based on grace and the mercy of God. Our motivation is joy and faith in the promise of yet more grace in the future. When we fail, hear me, he still loves us. When we succeed, our success redounds to his praise and honor. This is a gospel truth we have to pray into our heart. God loves you just as much on your worst day as he loves you on your best day. And when we know that, we would pray a whole lot more. Benefit number five, satisfaction. He goes on to say, he satisfies you. I love David still talking to his soul. He's not talking to you. He's saying, look, soul, he satisfies you with good things. This is perfect. Uh, we just ended our Ecclesiastes series a couple weeks ago, and I think I did a pretty decent job explaining the futility of this world. Anybody remember the word? It starts with an H. Hevel. Thank you, okay? I get texts all the time. I, everything I see, I think of Hevel. I'm like, amen. Uh, but I'm not sure I did the best job at reminding everybody of this truth. By the way, if you, didn't, if you weren't here, hevel means it's a whole ecclesiastic theme. It means futility, worthless. It's like fog or smoke. It looks real, but the moment you grab it, it disappears. A lot of us, the moment you think that much money, now it'll make me happy, you grab it and you realize there was nothing to it. Everything is hevel. Now, here's the part I don't think I did the greatest job reminding us. Life with God takes away the hevel. Right? If we love God then those things, they are gifts, they are good things. For example, when you make marriage your God, that's when it's futile and useless. But when God is God and you enjoy your marriage, it's a good gift. It's something to grab onto and hold onto. When career is your God, you're hopeless. It's like heaven. But when you love God, and use your career as a way to fulfill your purpose of following the Lord, extending the Great Commission, career is a great, enjoyable gift. When pleasure is your God, you are empty. Vacations don't give you what you want. But when God is your God, vacations are a nice breath of fresh air. Right? So when we put God above all, these hevel items become gifts. And so we're reminded of that truth. He satisfies us with good things. So if you're struggling today with satisfaction, with a sense of security and hope and purpose, push through that and say, okay, God, satisfy me with your love. Satisfy me with what you have to give me. Some of us, we need to pray that prayer of satisfaction, acknowledging the good things in life, saying, God, satisfy me with you. Psalm 90, 14, if you want to write that down, 90, verse 14, it says, Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. We're almost done. This is the last benefit. Number six is renewal. Verse five, it says, your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now, legend has it, and it was probably preachers who made this up, that eagles, they completely lose their beak, their wings, everything at age 40. And it's a decision they have to make. And if they make that decision, it buys them another 10 or more years. Now, the problem is that will preach like that sounds great. It's not true. Okay, so I'm not going to teach that because it's false. And if you are a person who loves eagles, you can call me out on that. So, but what this does mean, it's not as incredible, but it's still incredible. What they go through is what's called a molting process. Anybody ever heard of molting before? Molting is where their, their, their feathers are falling in order to be grown a new one, a stronger one. And so as he's a teenager, they have certain feathers, but then it grows, and he has to get rid of the old feathers in order to get the new ones. And Some of us, we have to pray through that and think, Okay, God, what I feel like right now is a dying season. I feel like I've lost all my feathers, all of these blessings that helped me so much last year. They don't seem to be taking me to new heights this year. And what's hard is we love when there are new feathers. We love when we get new wings, but we're called to pray when we're molting, when it's that process of dying and losing. And some of us, we don't pray to God because we interpret this as failure, we interpret this losing season as if God has forgotten us, but we have to take hold. The scripture says, you will be renewed like the eagle, but it is a process. But no renewal is coming. And so when you're losing, remember, God is renewing. Maybe that's your prayer you need to hold on to this week. Okay, God, what you're doing, I feel like you've forgotten me, but maybe you're just renewing me in a way that I could never think or imagine. I know this is what I most identify this week, that God is renewing me, but it feels a whole lot like just losing a lot of things. But that's part of the process, and so I pray through that. I want to remind you, when condemnation is your nemesis, you should pray through all of God's benefits. The benefits of forgiveness, healing, redemption, love, satisfaction, and renewal. The beautiful thing is David, he was able to preach hope to his soul by looking forward, knowing that a Messiah will one day come, that Jesus will come and make these things right, that Jesus will make it. When I say I will be lifted from the pit, there will be a Messiah one day who will actually lift us from the pit. But friends, you and I, we don't have to look forward. We have the advantage of looking back. 2,000 years ago, Christ came died and rose again. And on the cross, he said it is finished. When he said it is finished, he was saying forgiveness is fully on offer. Healing is in your hands. You can be fully redeemed. You will forever be loved in the, in the arms of God. You can ever be satisfied. You will always be satisfied by what God has done. You can be renewed because of what Christ has already done. And this is the hope of the gospel. And this is why I say, friends, I want us to pray and I get so excited about the different ways we're going to talk in this series of how we talk with God. And some of it is just dealing with our own past and our own sins and our own mess ups and failures. But also a lot of prayer is looking forward to the future, praying for the kingdom to come, praying for new realities because of the good news of the gospel, that our church would grow, that the city would be blessed, all those things. We have to remember though, at its foundation, this is why I wanted to really get here by week two. We must pray through the gospel every day. You never graduate from the gospel. Every day you need the reminder, God loves you. He's forgiven you. He wants you to ask for healing. Every day God wants you to pray. Remind yourself of the redemption we have in Christ. Every day. Are you depressed? Are you in despair? Pray this prayer of satisfaction. This is what we have to offer. God is a good father and he wants to bless his children. But as a parent, I know, I love it when they ask. And we can ask because we know these are his benefits. This is what happens when we are in the family of God. Let me close with this because I don't, maybe you're not convinced. Hold on to this truth. God doesn't treat you according to your sins but according to his son. This is the good news of the gospel. You may be thinking, why would God listen to me? Why would God forgive me? Why would God do any of this for me? Friends, he does it because when Christ was on the cross, he became your substitute. He made a way for Jesus to step in your place. So now when he sees you, he sees Christ. And who, who would want to debate if God loves his son? Of course, God loves Christ. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's his son. And to that, I would say, yeah. And so, of course, God loves you. Because in Christ, you are righteous. In Christ, you are his child. In Christ, he wants to give you all good things. But again, That's if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. And all it is is an invitation. Just take it. And you can be listed as well into these benefits. But also, for those who have had these benefits for years, it's time to remember, to stop forgetting, to remind yourself in prayer every day when condemnation is your nemesis. You need to start praying through all God's benefits.